0: From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. The David Curtin Show and today's news talk, TNT.
1: Welcome to the David Curtin Show here on today's News Talk TNT. And uh, thank you for joining me again if you join me every day. I know some of you do, and you give me wonderful, kind comments about what we uh, talk about in the show. Now, today, I want to talk about something that has been of great concern to me and many people over many, many years, and that is the gross financial irresponsibility of government. Now, in the UK, we now have a mountain of national debt, which She stands today, as far as I know, at £2.7 trillion. It's really hard to get your head around figures that big. But in the United States, it's even bigger at $34 trillion. In the UK, that's increasing by about £130 billion every year, which again, is almost incomprehensible to many people. But we're in the phase now where it's almost impossible to pay back all of our national debt. But what concerns me as well Is debt being taken on extra to that by local governments? And there's been a report released this week by the Local Government Information Unit, which is called the State of Government Finance Report. It's been widely reported in the mainstream media, in all the media, over the last two or three years that there have been a number of high-profile bankruptcies of councils in England. There are 317 local councils in England, and about 18 of them have declared bankruptcy over the last few years. Some of the most high-profile cases are Nottingham that went bankrupt just last year with debts of £38 million. That could have been completely avoided, and the reason they got that much debt is because they set up their own energy company, which was a complete financial and business disaster. But that pales in comparison to some of the other cases we've heard. The small town of Slough in Berkshire, near West London, uh, got into debt and declared bankruptcy with debts of £760 million. It's a mystery to how they got that much debt. It doesn't seem to be just anything. They didn't get anything for it. And the local taxpayers and ratepayers haven't got anything to show for that. Birmingham also got into debt and went bankrupt with £1 billion of debt. To be fair to them, there was extenuating circumstances for that because there was a lawsuit uh, by some people who felt that they had been discriminated against, and that was over 10 years ago, and they're now paying off the settlement for the lawsuit. But still, the tragedy for the people of Birmingham is they have to pick up the tab for this. And what's happening, as in most cases where local councils go bankrupt, is the central government steps in and then they have to cut their services, sell off many of their assets, and they increase local council tax by above the normal rate. It can go up by 5% a year without any special um, mechanisms to do so. But in Birmingham, council tax has gone up by 10% for the local taxpayers this year because they've gone bankrupt. Even worse was the situation in Croydon in South London that had £1.3 billion of debt because of dodgy property deals. And an even smaller council, the small town of Woking in Surrey, went bankrupt. And this is the biggest of them all, £2 billion of debt because of dodgy property deals done by councillors who didn't know what they were doing. And they had the vision to turn Woking from a small, sleepy commuter town into something like the Singapore of Surrey. There's loads of new buildings gone up in Woking, but they're not making any money out of it. And the council's gone gone bankrupt. And of course, the local people have to pick up the tab. Now, the the concerning thing about the report that just that's just been written is that nine percent of councils in England think that they're going to go bankrupt this year. That means another thirty councils, in addition to the eighteen that have already gone bankrupt. And 51% of councils think that they will go bankrupt in the next five years, meaning a full hundred and 60, sorry, 100 and, yeah 160 councils will go bankrupt over the next five years if this report is true. and uh, people have responded to this anonymously. so I imagine that the people in charge of those councils were quite honest about how they think their finances are going to fare. In the future, what this means is half the local people in local areas in England are going to find their public services cut like they have been in Woking and Croydon and uh, Birmingham and other places. Old buildings may be sold off to property developers at fire sale prices who will then turn them into luxury flats, perhaps for foreigners to come and live in as we are seeing happening all over the country today and your council tax will go up above the normal rate the reason why this is happening is because councils are full of change agents and they're doing two things they're pushing the diversity agenda They are infested with diversity, inclusion and equality officers who are more concerned about whether you write your pronouns in your bio or on your emails rather than dealing with the things that councils are supposed to deal with, like fixing potholes, making sure there's adequate street lighting, looking after maintaining your libraries and parks and public toilets and public spaces, providing youth clubs and services for youth, community services services for elderly people and disabled people and so on. That's what we expect councils to do. But they're obsessed with focusing on wokery. And they're also obsessed with focusing on this climate agenda and fulfilling the premises of Agenda 2030, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. So they waste thousands, sometimes millions, sometimes billions of pounds on wind turbines or solar panels or putting in bicycle lanes or putting road blockages in and making low traffic neighbourhoods and so on. One council I didn't mention earlier that's also gone bankrupt is Thurrock Council in Essex that lost £1.5 billion investing in or speculating on a wind farm project that went wrong (laughs) and they lost their money. It went down a financial black hole somewhere. And of course, the taxpayers pick up the tab if you don't want this to continue if you want to change as i say many times please change your vote don't keep voting Tory, Labour, Lib Dem, Green. They're all the same and they're all going to continue making bad decisions and putting change agents in the council staff and civil service to make sure that these things that are terrible and going to drain your local finances uh, in place. Vote for somebody else. You can vote for me and my party, if you like, who will make a change and who will be financially responsible we need to get a grip of this so that local councils serve their people rather than agendas which don't benefit the people and act against the people this is today's news talk tnt
0: abroad or at home this is your news by staying silent we are part of the problem today's news talk radio
1: tnt, TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin and we have with us today, Gemma Cooper. Again, as always, welcome to the show, Gemma.
2: Hello there, David. Yeah, this is the point in the show where I bring you some of the breaking headlines in the in the UK mainly, UK politics, UK mm. policies, uh, and sometimes what's going on globally when it affects uh, you know, global, the global population. <laughs> but it's really very interesting that you're talking about local councils there and how our council tax, uh, which is ostensibly meant to pay for exactly the things that you said, the potholes, our services, our community centres, and also... Uh, as a percentage of our council tax, as I know that you will know, goes to pay for our policing. And unfortunately, mm. we've today in the last hour and a half had this damning report, the first of three damning reports issued. And the government have, have issued a statement very, very promptly because they knew they'd have to on this one mm. uh, about the former police officer, Wayne Cousins, uh, and obviously the, the murder and rape of, of Sarah Everard back in uh, 2021, he posed, he he used his his warrant card. He was still a serving officer, a firearms officer. He used his warrant card to stage a fake arrest. He abducted her in Clapham in South London, and then he went on to rape and kill her. And it was a very gruesome and horrible case. And he was a police officer. Now, uh, the report has come out. Uh, It's an extensive 350 page report on Wayne Cousins' behavior. First of three. Um, and, And the conclusion is this man should never have been a police officer. There were so many red flags about his behavior Uh, Stemming even before he joined the force, Uh, there was allegations of a very serious sexual assault on a child before he joined the Metropolitan Police back in 2002 um, and predatory sexual behavior going back uh, 20 years. Uh, And when he was an officer, he allegedly showed violent pornography to friends and colleagues in the force. He, he sent unsub, unsolicited pictures of his genitalia to young women and allegedly did possess indecent images of young children. Now, the Home Secretary within the last hour and a quarter, James Cleverley, he said in the House of Commons, right, we're going to have a radical overhaul of the recruitment process. Uh, Too many red flags were missed. We can't have this happening again um, because we cannot have another Wayne Cousins hiding in plain sight. Uh, I wonder though, because I was doing a story about the police back uh, a few hours ago with Sonia Poulton on the UK TNT Breakfast Show. And it was about how the police missed uh, vital clues or evidence and didn't want to uh, kind of go after the prime suspect in a case in Scotland almost 20 years ago of the rape and murder of a woman in the woods. And they let the rapist go free while they tried to frame other people for the case. Mm. And it's only just now that that man was sentenced yesterday to 36 years, despite red flags about his behavior to the police, 20 years ago. I think they're trying to scapegoat Wayne Cousins here as a kind of lone wolf within the force and that this couldn't possibly happen again. But we're hearing more and more about policing, about, you know, so-called bad apples, a lot of, you know, very misogynistic attitudes towards women, very racist attitudes still, private WhatsApp messages uh, revealing this and many offices being sacked now for gross misconduct. I think this is a cultural issue. This report today, though, is very distressing. Uh, James Cleverley has said he promises to to absolutely act on this. He says it's thoughts and sympathies are absolutely with Sarah Everard's family uh, but they seem quite keen that oh it was Wayne Cousins was a wrong un we kind of knew he was bad sorry we didn't do anything about it well if you had all those red flags at the time Sarah Everard would obviously still be alive but it seems that there's institutional procedural things uh, that have really gone awry here that because he was um, indecently exposing himself when he was in the force and yet not one officer was trained to deal with it properly and he wasn't even suspended he was allowed to carry on so that is a huge red flag in any Mm. profession, let alone the police. Um, So that's where we are with this story. That's the latest development in that story today.
1: It seems that there's more and more cases of police engaged in wrongdoing and severe wrongdoing, actually committing sexual offences and violent offences against innocent people. I can't remember the names of uh, people. There was a case I remember just last week of someone who'd been in prison for that um, and, and caught. And you wonder, you know, is there something going wrong? in the police training colleges because it used to be the case that police would uh, learn how to work with the public do community policing but now the, the the philosophy behind policing seems to be completely changed there isn't much community policing going on building relations with people community leaders families and building trust it's all reactive and I've noticed disturbing things. I mean from the from the freedom rallies in the 2020 onwards, I've seen things I've never seen before. Riot police dressed up in, yeah, American style headgear, batons and, you know, even machine guns going in against ordinary people. They're not firing their machine guns, but they're certainly batoning people over the head, you know, p- police officers looking like Robocop, thinking that there's something like this. Um, and then, you know, they do things which you would never expect uh, in this country, but this is happening more and more often. So I wonder if there's also been some kind of change in, in philosophy as to how policing is done, as well as um, you finding these uh, number of people who are acting in, in ways which uh, are, are frankly criminal.
2: Well, it's a very, very good question because I have covered so many stories about the police now in the UK since I've been working for TNT, which is now five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on other shows, I have posed this exact question to other hosts. Is it that the police are recruiting a particular type of person with narcissistic mm-hmm. or so- psychopathic tendencies in Wayne Cousins' case, you know, allegations of a serious sexual mm-hmm. assault against a child before he was recruited? Um, or does it, is it a cultural thing that when you join, even if you're quite a kind of halfway decent person, they train that out of you and, and, the, and the kind of more robotic elements of your personality are encouraged to come to the fore. I don't know the answer. It's a question that I have raised and we have discussed here on many shows on TNT, and you've just reflected that as well. And I, I agree with you about the freedom rallies. I witnessed that firsthand myself. And it's certainly not the community police officer that used to come into my primary school mm. many years, 50 years ago when I was a child. Things have definitely changed. Um I but this report, I mean it's it's damning, it's huge. If 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 anybody wants to go and you know take the trouble. To to read it, you can find links online. Um, but they seem to be very keen to sort of say this Wayne Cousins was obviously insane, um, just him, mm. no one else. But as we know, so many stories now are coming out and I wonder if it is cultural because the story I referenced this morning with Sonia was about a, a, a Scottish force that systematically ignored vulnerable women when they were going to them saying, we think we know who killed the, the, the woman. We yeah. think we know who killed Emma Coldwell and left her body in the forest. We think we know who did it. They were ignored, dismissed, humiliated and one was even arrested and called a prostitute um, when she wasn't um, and they were raising the red flag about a suspect who was allowed to carry on with impunity and attack other women so there does seem to be something cultural there um, which mm. which is endemic uh, I don't know how you tackle that issue um, all forces say things have changed have they I I, I don't know
1: it doesn't seem like they have i mean i really hope that someone does take action they can get to the root of this and sort it out but james cleverly i don't really have too much faith in him personally um to uh, actually be do anything uh which is going to be real anyway thank you Gemma, for bringing that story very important story and uh let's watch that as we go through this is today's news talk tnt tnt's jeremy Nell, a gentleman in the uk who um was falsely accused of rape and he spent four years behind bars now john this is a this is a tricky situation you're talking about a very very serious crime here the problem is is that the establishment sides with women which is why he ended up in jail but he, he didn't rape her so i've got a question for you what should happen to those women yeah I, I felt very very strongly jeremy because i and this is my one reason why i quit the teaching profession i had 20 years as a school teacher um when this girl accused me it, it was all vindictive it was uh, kind of get you back for for you know putting her in a place kind of thing you, She couldn't accept discipline um the retaliation it cost me a year without pay as a school teacher i, I was on you know unemployed And effectively lost, I lost my career in the community. I had to move to a different part of the country.
0: Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT. a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID
1: misinformation.
0: It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Welcome back to The David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin here on today's News Talk TNT and I'm delighted to have with me in the show and this period, Bianca Isherwood. Now, Bianca, I know because she's in the Heritage Party and is the coordinator of the Heritage Party branch in South End. Welcome to the show, Bianca. Thank you,
3: David. Thanks for having me.
1: Nice, really good to see you. And you're sitting in front of a sign that says Stop Agenda 2030. Um, I think some people have heard of that, but not everyone would have heard of that. What What is Agenda 2030 and why is it important for people to know about it?
3: I think lots of people understand some of Agenda 2030 because it's a whole move towards communism and social credit system and ULES and 15 minute cities and all these things are part of Agenda 2030. And even if you don't know what it is in its entirety, everybody knows like one part of it. So we did our uh, outreach last Saturday and we haven't done outreach since last summer, I don't think, um, in our high street. And it was amazing the difference we had from the amount of people that were coming over because it said Stop Agenda 2030 and people were starting to realise what that is now. Whereas before, maybe we'd get some people that come up and say, what is Agenda 2030? Mm. And I always have the printout. There's like a, some coloured lines on a sheet and it will explain, you know, that we're going to have no airlines. And then I explain to them how we're we going to get enough food into the country. We don't have enough uh, farming land. How are we going to be self-sufficiency? How do you feel about eating bugs? And then they start to realise all the, the moving parts to it. But also, obviously, one of the reasons that I joined the Heritage Party was to stop Agenda 2030 coming in on a local level, because there are lots of little things you can do on a local level as well, Um, you know, like voting against the ULES and things like that.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, yeah, and and I was going to ask you about that because you're very active in politics on a local level. But wh- when did you first get involved in politics? And was it was it when you joined the Heritage Party, or were you involved in politics and activism on a local level before then?
3: um Activism, yes. Politics, hmm. no. Never thought about it. All I've got is a sociology GCSE. <laughs> never thought <laughs> <Okay>. I'd be <laughs> ends up in politics. Um, so i started out protesting and petitioning mm. all the lockdowns or the mandates or things like that um but what we're essentially doing when we do that is we're asking the government or them they they do this they do that we're asking them to listen to us and to stop something from happening but even mm. if 95 percent of a population signed a petition that says we don't want this we don't want it to happen i really don't think they would listen because they're going to just carry on with the agenda at full stop. So a lot of people like we've got Save Our Rights UK, they sent an email the other day to their list, which I'm on, and it says, mm. I don't want to be fighting to the end of my death. We want to focus on the solutions now. Well, I feel like I started off focusing on the solutions. I started the uh, Freedom Network branch in Southend, so we, uh, we did group allotments, I helped a lot of carers keep their work for uh, not wanting to get the experimental vaccines. We started to learn about common law, all these things to try and learn to live as best we can to be self-sufficient and not reliant on the system. And I started the People's Health Alliance in South End. Um, but at the end of the day, we've got lots of people, they're living in vans, they don't want to pay their water bills. They're trying to live the best they can in this awful time, but... We're not en masse getting up and leaving to the countryside. We're not en masse going to build the communes. Because uh, a lot of people, they don't have the balls to do it. A lot of people don't even have the balls to take their ch- children out of school. Um, mm. So unless we all wake up one day and we all do it together, let stop. Mm. You know, it's just, it's more, even if we went and we all moved to the countryside and we started to farm the land and we taught ourselves how to do it again, What's going to stop the government from spraying chemtrails over the new crops that we're building? Mm. What's going to stop them from sending in people to infiltrate our new communities and start the agendas all over again, start the indoctrination all over again? Mm. So we've either got to start changing it from the inside, which I mean, lots of people are attached to their houses, and they don't want to stop paying their mortgages, Mm. ready to make that leap. So, it's far more viable to change it from the inside than it is to go and start again, where you're going to forever be having two sides that are fighting to keep your freedom and the way you want to live.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it would be very, very difficult for everybody to go and leave the towns and cities that they live in and go move to the countryside. Because if you had 60 million people doing that, you just have to build new towns and cities in the countryside and they would turn into towns and cities there, which then, you know, you get people coming in, as you say, from the government, from the system coming in to live amongst you and set up councils. Even if people set up people's assemblies or something, they would be infiltrated by the people who are actually working within the system got to undermine it and to make it some kind of hell that we have so you know i'm really glad that you've joined in and you're actually getting actively involved in politics and fighting within the system we have i think that's the only way to do it really because those people are still there and, uh, you know, uh, they have the right to life as much as we do. So, you know, we have to try to, if we can, change them and uh, inform them. And I know that there's some people that simply can't. You can't because they're, they're the enemy. But there is a lot of people who are in the middle who, who really... Don't know maybe they're part of it, maybe they're part of actually implementing Agenda 2030, but they don't know it and they don't understand it. Um, you know, how have your interactions with councillors been on that level?
3: Well, first of all, I just like to add that we need to make this stand now on a local level because mm. in case deposition comes in, this might be our last chance, uh, at normal local people, um, mm. coming in. Um to be elected because obviously if devolution comes in, we won't be able mm. to afford to run in elections, things of that nature. But we went to a few council meetings. Um, we asked the head of labor at South End Council to explain to us why there's a whole website that says South End is set to become a smart city by wow. uh 2050. Uh, there's been no public consultation on it and I was looking around the website and it's kind of cryptic and he said, no, 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 it's not going to be anything like you're thinking because I said, well, does this include geofencing? You know, the 5G towers, if you mm. don't believe they are harmful, they are being used in other countries for the geofencing, which is another digital constraint. It would be like a ULES area. You can't leave certain areas. You'll be tracked when you leave certain areas. Um, and he was like, "No, it's going to be nothing like that. It's going to be like Southend is a mini uh, Silicon Valley." And I said, "Okay, <laughs> what's, what's, what does <laughs> that mean? What does that mean?" Um, and he said, it "Just means we'll be all we'll be well more connected." I said, "So, do you mean that you're going to be tracking all the citizens and data harvesting them then?" "No, no, no. It's just going to be it'll be more technical." So that was that was the answer we got from that.
0: Um,
1: wow. i think that that's exactly what it's gonna be you know it i know it. everybody knows it i think he knows it but he's giving you an answer just to fob you off i mean that's unbelievable look we're going to take a quick break now have a news break we'll come back don't go away back in a minute this is today's news talk tnt question
0: what are you guys doing today the news now tnt radio news sounds good
4: matt boyland here with a look at your tnt headlines Following a period of increased tension, France is seemingly looking to thaw its diplomatic relations with Morocco. The longest serving Senate leader in US history and arguably one of the most controversial has announced he's stepping down from the top job. And Hunter Biden, the son of US President Joe Biden has testified behind closed doors as part of the Republican led houses impeachment inquiry into his father.
0: The common housefly caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then. Dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh. Dinner's ready.
1: Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio.live. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show here on today's News Talk TNT. I have with me Bianca Isherwood, who's still with us, who is our Heritage Party South End coordinator, who is doing a lot of uh, work in South End for freedom and for the people in South End. Now, Bianca, you have been a candidate before, and you're going to be a candidate again this year in the local elections. What is it like being a candidate in local elections?
3: Um, well, it, it can be as involved or as not involved as you want to be. You can be as active or as not as active as you want to be. Because I know lots of people are interested in joining, but oh, I don't have the time. Uh, we, you know, we, we accept the paper candidates. That helps us. It helps us to see which areas uh, we might want to place a, a more active mm. candidate next time as well. And it helps us, you know, people see the logo, question who we are, go look us up. Mm. Um. It's really easy. You just fill out a form and then away you go, really. Um, It's a good platform. I think it's a good platform because I get to do all the things I was doing before, all the activist type things, uh, speaking out against all the agendas. And instead of being called a conspiracy theory, I'm taken very seriously because I'm Mm. part of the British Party. It's a political party and everyone suddenly wants to listen. (laughs) So I think it's. Good. If you're already doing any of those things, uh, it will be a really easy transition and it counts towards something because it's not just, oh, we did this petition and then it was ignored.
1: But that's really positive when you say that because you are standing for a political party and you're standing in an election, you feel that people take you more seriously and you have more gravitas. And, you know, it's easy for people to throw out all of these smears at you. I get this all the time. But but that's really good. I mean, are you talking about local newspapers and and local media and so on that, that give you a platform?
3: absolutely not
1: no okay <laughs> <We've>, no <laughs>
3: um we've had so many issues with our local newspaper so our local mm. newspaper is called the echo um so in 2020 i was part of a group that organized uh, a local protest against the vaccine passports mm. um The newspapers did know about it the day before because someone told them. Uh, And then afterwards, they published a really neutral review saying, you know, it was about the passports themselves, not about the vaccines. We had a valid Mm. and It was a peaceful protest. And then three days later, there was another piece uh, article published saying that uh, such a shame that a small group of people branched off and then they went outside a vaccine clinic and they caused loads and loads of chaos. And the police won't stop until we find out who they were. Well, I was one of those people. We went outside a vaccine clinic and we stood there and we handed out leaflets. And there were right. two policemen there. And the two policemen took pictures with us. Smiling right. pictures. With us. <laughs> so if we had done anything wrong, there were two policemen there. And we were also next to the police station. So Wow. If we were under any anything, we did anything wrong, you know, we would have been dealt with there. None of us were ever contacted to say we'd done something wrong and that the police wanted to talk to us because nothing actually happened. So it was an absolute lie. Um We've local, obviously, uh, interview with Nick, Nikki Cody. Um, and she, there was just, you know, they publish things that are very openly vague. Mm. Uh, and then it leaves it open to... You know, well, it's hard to yeah, say. Yeah, they tw- they twist they things, don't they? One. And they yeah. they we'll leave that one because I'm not sure because she's not uh, going through a court process right now. So I'm not gonna okay. With that thing, yeah, yeah. But- okay.
1: The, the, this is someone that you're helping with a with a particular yeah. case. Yeah, you don't need to mention that. But but I mean that's <laughs> interesting. That the media is twist. They twist the story to make you look bad when actually you you, you were with the police and, and they were absolutely fine with you handing out leaflets yeah. and actually you were doing a service because the people going to these injection centres weren't getting information about what these vaccines were doing and how they might harm them but actually you were informing them so that they could actually decide whether to give informed consent or not.
3: Yeah um there's our local Echo is also publishing people's details now so if you wow. have a car incident like a speed ticket or something it says name of the person address of the person age of the person what their you know crime was what date they went to what call and what was the outcome and how much they had to pay I mean wow. when did it become legal to publish all of those personal details of a person in a local newspaper
1: it's like that's that's shocking that's absolutely appalling i i didn't know that you know i've never seen that before and that's very disturbing that that's happening if that is um, gosh, yeah. Let's hope that that's not happening everywhere. But look, I want to ask you something else about getting involved in in local politics. Because even though you stood, you didn't didn't win last time. Hopefully, you will win this time in the elections on May the second, and it'd be wonderful if you become a councillor there in South End. But even if you're not a councillor, how can people get involved in challenging their local council and in, engaging in what they're doing and and um, opposing? things that they're doing that you may not like
3: well you can watch all of the council meetings you don't have to go to them i watched our um budget meeting the other night for about four Mm. hours where um they all showed themselves up because the newspaper said that a quote from the council last year uh south and you was just mentioned and it was never going to happen but they're all arguing over, well, the deal was on the table for you, Les, and you said this and we said that. So, so they're admitting that it was because mm-hmm. they're all discussing it openly. They also talk about Target 2030, Target 2030. So mm-hmm. if anyone else still thinks Agenda 2030 is a conspiracy theory, you can go on to the South End Council webcast library and you can listen for yourself um you can submit questions to the council although our process i think is a little bit different to elsewhere because you have to screen they have to screen your question so you have to mm. submit a question in writing and then if they say okay then you can come and read it out and they have a pre-scripted answer so it's not it's not that great and mm. uh, that's as far as you can get
4: um,
3: yeah. mm. keep an eye on what is going on with the uh, consultations They are very few and far between uh, but they're very sneaky as well, the consultations, mm. because they won't do everything very heavy-handedly all at once. They'll bring in small things. Like there's recently been one on Home ed, and that's obviously not local. It's national. But uh, it was about changing the guidelines. Uh, mm. And there's now a consultation about that consultation because it was so poorly advertised and so poorly worded. Um, there's a consultation about not doing them like that anymore. Um, but always look for the consultations um, yeah. and go and find out who your councillors are. Go and speak to them. Uh, I would also say look very carefully into any independent candidates because yeah. obviously they lots of them have recently left or were involved in other parties previously and sometimes it is just a political move for them to appear as an independent candidate and then yeah. once they're re-elected in there, They'll just, you know, agree with everything their ex-party says or their secret real party says, so...
1: Yeah that that's a big thing and you got to they're very sneaky doing this and you got to look out for that. Look, Bianca, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish wish you and the team in South End all success for the elections on May the 2nd. I hope you all get elected and then we'll have some really good representation in South End council as as we will all around the country where we're standing. And you know, what I would say to people listening as well, I hope you're inspired by this because, you know, I'm an ordinary person. We're ordinary people. But so we're standing for election and getting involved in the political process and if you want change don't leave it up to the people that are there already you've got to actually be the change get involved get active stand for your councils try to become the councillors and then you can make the decisions that affect your own life and you won't be leaving it to people who don't have your best interests at heart um bianca thank you so much and uh, good luck to you thank you you're welcome this is today's news talk tnt
0: with his expert analysis and opinion. This is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These people are evil. First they lie, and no, no, the jab is safe and effective. You have to take it because it's safe and effective. It's for the greater good. And then they'll deny that people that were injured were injured by the jab, which was so safe and effective. And now when they're finally forced to admit, yeah, your paralysis, it's from the mod RNA gene therapy injection but we're going to make it up to you the doctors in canada say to the paralyzed woman we're going to allow you to opt for euthanasia i'm not making that up go check out the story with these people all roads lead to death they are a death cult on a mission of spreading death far and wide they want to kill people they want to kill as many people as possible they're on record as saying they want no more than 500 million people on earth the only problem we have 7.5 billion people on earth they want to get rid of 7 billion people and they're doing it slowly but surely they need to be stopped and they need to be stopped now from MAGAInstitute.com, this is timothy shea for today's news talk tnt you are
3: loved you are valued you are
1: resilient
0: You got this. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash Thanks for being a part of the David Curtin Show on today's News Talk Radio.
1: <laughs> TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin show. I'm David Curtin on today's news talk TNT and it's really good to have with me now Amy Gallagher who is a nurse and a psychotherapist and Amy welcome to the show.
4: Hi David, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Hi
1: no, great Great to have you on the show. Now, you've just made or presented a video which has gone out just very recently, I think, called Trans Racist and Woke, How Psychology Went Mad, um, which is a really interesting title. I've looked at some of it. Can you tell us a little bit about that video and why you made it?
4: Well, so this is something that's been produced with New Cultural Forum, Mm -hmm. um, which is an organisation I've been involved with for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. Um, I first got involved with them really when I went on there to give an interview about a legal case I was involved with. So I'm a nurse, as you said, and I was training to be a um, psychotherapist at the Tavistock um, Mm -hmm. and they were teaching critical race theory as though it was a fact. And i simply pointed out that it wasn't a fact and actually there's lots of different views and my view is different i have an opposing view to critical race theory and what unfolded after that was essentially two years of bullying telling me i'm unsafe telling me i shouldn't be able to be a psychotherapist put me through disciplinary procedures um, even going as far as to say that i shouldn't be allowed to be a nurse Um, and uh, this was over a couple of years ago, they had essentially handed me off the course and uh, stopped me from obtaining my qualification. Um, I'm now in the process of, of suing them for that. Um, and yeah, so I, I spoke about this about a year ago um, and the legal case is ongoing. But since then, I've had so much support from psychologists and psych- psychotherapists reaching out to me saying, we feel exactly the same way. More needs to be done to speak out about Uh, the incursion of politics and ideology into psychology um, and mental health. Um, So I I made this proposal to do a documentary about it. um, And yeah, it came out last week and it's called How Psychology Went Mad.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I heard about the case and they said some terrible things about you. And it was they they were saying that, you know, you you shouldn't be able to speak because you're a white person or something like this. That whiteness was bad. Uh, Christianity was bad because it was white and it was to do with white culture. And if someone had said that about black people or Jewish people or Indian people, they would get taken down for being racist themselves. But this is the critical race theory is that you you can say anything you like about white people people and and to me this is anti-white racism clearly um but they get away with it i mean why do you think that people can do this and get away with it these days
4: well it's we're seeing it increasingly more in our society i mean recently there was a fear to show on in london that was saying they didn't Mm. want white people to attend because they didn't want the white gaze to be present this is something that comes (laughs) out of um, critical race theory. Um, my, you know, I'm quite a liberal uh, person. I believe in freedom of speech. I believe in people's right to believe in critical theory or even critical race theory. The issue is that it has a very authoritarian tendency, whereas what actually happens is that you, you're not even allowed to disagree with it. That, to me, is the main issue. These theories exist. Um, I'm, I'm happy for people to reference them. But there's this there's inbuilt into it that anybody criticises it, um, it's just it's just a sign that they are racist and they don't want to mm. don't want to accept the fact that they're racist. So it, it's inbuilt into it that you're not allowed to disagree, and that's that to me is, is tyrannical. So it's it's really mm. really um, concerning me that this is. Uh, a theory, an academic theory that is now entering into the mainstream, entering into, in my case, into the NHS, but entering into the arts, um, and media and so on, when really it should just remain as as an academic theory and not a fact and certainly not something we should, um, you know, be using to uh, influence our behaviour and our decisions.
1: Yeah, in the video, you you actually mentioned the Frankfurt School, which is where it comes from, and is people yeah. there like Horkheimer and so on have developed this. And Mar- Herbert Marcuse is someone you specifically mentioned. I mentioned him here on the show a couple of times, and uh, he wrote this essay repressive tolerance in 1965 and and that is one of the key texts in order to explain what's going on here because what he suggests is that there there was a traditional conservative hegemony and that needed to be inverted so that there will be tolerance to anything on the left wing but there will be intolerance to anything that was considered right-wing. I mean, whether you call that left or right now, I don't know, but the idea of critical race theory would be tolerated. But then anyone who has any traditional views or any, even a traditional culture, needs to be repressed in order to bring in some kind of new progressive liberal world and um it's horrible it's horrific and it's it's absolutely totalitarian it's it's just a long march through the institutions it's happening everywhere isn't it It's, it's not just the health service it's education and it's uh political parties it's media it's even business these days and um you have so many diversity equality and inclusion officers often on very very high salaries you have an army of them um and it's very difficult for a single person to fight that army of diversity officers who are imposing this critical race theory on you and have lots of power within the institutions is that something that you found in the nhs
4: yeah, definitely. I mean, I, before I became a nurse, I did a degree in English literature, and I found it very dissatisfying because I was only being told a kind of Marxist critical theory approach mm. to literature. Um, so I, I went from that degree, and I wanted to get completely get away from theory and intellectuals. So I thought, if I go into nursing, nursing is just purely about helping people. It's not political, um, and it will feel really worthwhile and meaningful. And then that is the reason why most people go into nursing or healthcare that they just want to help people with their lives, mm. or you know. be able to cure people and treat people and so on um but unfortunately what i've seen you know in the last 10 years that i've been working as a nurse is the ideas that i kind of wanted to get away from at university Mm -hmm. when i did my english degree are now have now become more and more prevalent in in the nhs where nurses are Mm -hmm. being told to um you know for example i last year i was told i was sent an email round saying that there was um an anti-racist training organization coming in and you and it but it was for it it was to discuss internalised racism, and only BAME members of staff could attend. So you know it's racial segregation, but essentially, and um, you know we're seeing more and more and more instances of this in the NHS and in relation to healthcare. I mean, we've seen my documentary covers the Tavistock, which was heavily. Mm. By gender ideology, yeah. um, and which is now seen, you know, it's had lawsuits from whistleblowers from, from former patients that felt that they were pushed into doing things or couldn't speak out about treatments that were being influenced by radical ideology as opposed to evidence-based healthcare. So it's mm. it's really concerning and it's such a shame. As I said, I wanted to get away from ideology. Um, mm-hmm. and now it's really hard if you just want to be a, a person in any profession to be able to get away from this. As you said, it's it seems to have taken over all of our institutions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it started with education. Obviously, that's where the Frankfurt School was, an educational institute yeah. um, was in Frankfurt, obviously, yeah. and uh, then then migrated to the USA in the 30s. Um, but yeah, you would think, though, you know, you go and do English literature, you, you, you're you going to study that because you want to study the beauty of the, the literature and the form and what it means. You don't want to have all these lecturers telling you, well, that book is is racist and that book is misogynist and that's homophobic phobic which seems to be what you get in education these days but you know my background is in science i have a chemistry degree i was a chemistry teacher for a long time and you know i haven't been a chemistry teacher i haven't actually been actively involved in education for nearly 10 years so it wasn't so much of an issue in science in schools 10 years ago but now things are being brought in you know you've you've got these um uh, you know lgbt across the curriculum for example and you've got the it, Obviously, in the NHS, you've got courses about critical race theory and you've got this transgender affirmation, which it makes no sense because, you know, to my mind, there are two sexes male and female and uh, there is no such thing as gender that's different to sex. And then people affirming children or even adults in their gender dysphoria really is, you know, it's completely damaging to them because then they pump them full of hormones and then maybe mutilate them but this is where they are and it just seems completely insane to me
4: yeah no that's right i mean in my documentary i cover how the american psychological association um came out recently and essentially said that children should be able to decide what gender they are and we should be a should be guided by what the child says um mm. and they they give some examples. For example, children who define their gender by the location that they're in or the season that they're in or gender fluid. There's a long Mm -hmm. list of kind of genders which children are saying that they are or seem to be reporting. And the American Psychological Association essentially said that clinicians should just simply go along with this. Now, we know children have vivid imaginations and they're trying to work out the world. They don't. They don't know enough about mm. the world or know enough about themselves. They don't really even understand concepts such as gender or sex yet. Um, so the you know the, the idea that you would just go along with what a child says is actually really damaging. And, and the CAS review showed this that um, said there are, there's an aspect of social transitioning which is actually could potentially be psychologically harmful to the child mm. um, because it's it it confuses them. Um, and it means that they have to go feel that they have to go down a line of identifying in a certain way, and they may feel that they can't, you know, re- re- come back from that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrifying that this is happening, particularly in the area of health, um, but education as well.
1: Mm. it is I mean you're getting this everywhere the question is we we know this and you know I've been speaking about this this topic you know critical theory cultural Marxism for a number of years and it's hard to put your finger on it but when you 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 give it a name then you can understand it and you you can see where it comes from so you can see how this is spreading as well and it's being spread deliberately by an army of activists who are getting into all these institutions and and trying to change and invert the values, but the question is for people like you and me: How do we fight this? How do we change this and push back on that? Have you got any ideas about that?
4: Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's very difficult to. Uh, I mean, I think. I mean, in my case, you know, I'm bringing a legal case. I think yeah, you yeah, know, lawfare is one way to fight this. We've seen particularly mm. with transgender ideology in this country. There's been a few yeah. legal cases, and um, the case of Alison Bailey, the Mayor for Starter case. Uh, people speaking out, you know, asserting their gender critical beliefs and saying, "Actually, I don't believe in gender." And it's now become a protected characteristic to to say that you're gender yeah. critical. So you, you can't discriminate somebody on the basis of having gender critical critical beliefs, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. And obviously, the stock shut down in response to laws lawsuits so i think you know legal cases is is one way people just speaking up more and more i think in the in the media things like tnt radio alternative medias but um i think what really needs to happen and and this is you know something that i've been saying for a while is that it really shouldn't be down to ordinary people to have to go through legal cases i mean they're really stressful i mean mine's very stressful and they're really costly and it's it's very unlikely that people are going to want to do that what really needs to happen is it the government needs to step in and do more um, mm. You know, we've had a Tory government for, for over 10 years now, and this this long march for the institutions has, has happened while we've had a Conservative government. Um, yeah. they, they, they really need to... I, I think politicians really need to be doing more because otherwise it's just down to ordinary people to push back, and um, that's going to be very difficult. I mean, they could very simply just defund the diversity industry, defund mm. all of these diversity, equity and inclusion offices. Like in the NHS, there's over... Over ten thousand roles that are in some way linked to diversity, equity, inclusion—that's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> we have nurses and doctors going on strike for more pay, but they are spending wow. millions on diversity, equity, inclusion officers. Um,
1: well, the government. What are those. Sorry, yeah. Go. Sorry. I interrupted you, sorry. No, all of those people, they'd be better off if you sent them to go and pick some fruit on a farm, isn't it? People are always saying exactly. we don't have enough people to pick our fruit and to do farming. Well, they could go and do that and they'd actually do something useful with their lives if you, you send them to yeah. do that rather than bringing in loads of migrants to do the jobs because there's no one in this country to do them. But I would totally agree with you. Just get rid of the whole diversity, equality and inclusion industry. I, I think we need some radical reform of the Equality Act, actually. Either, you know, amend it significantly or repeal it and go back to pre-existing laws. Because some of the things in there, Section 149, particularly the the public sector equality duty, causes and creates a need for compliance with the Act and all the regulations that come with it. And, you know, I call the government the fake Conservatives because... It's happened on their watch. It started under Blair and Brown, but it's continued under Cameron, the heir to Blair, and everybody else. They they they've made it worse. They haven't made it better. What do you think? No,
4: no that's yeah. right. It, it has it, it has come worse under the Conservatives. Um, I think you know they 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 come out with rhetoric now and again about woke ideology, but they don't they don't do they don't seem to do much. Um, mm-hmm. And I agree with you about the Equality Act. I think, you know. And that was brought in under Blair. The conservatives mm. haven't, you know, revisited it or changed it in any way. Mm. And the inequality is that it really doesn't make sense. It pits certain groups against each other. So you have mm. the protected characteristics of gender reassignment surgery, and then you have the protected characteristic of, 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 of sex and of women. And those two things don't yeah. go, you know, they run counter. So it's very difficult to know how you protect um, one group over, and um, one group's rights over another group's rights. Um, I think we should just mm. have a more general kind of discrimination uh, hmm. Based kind of law that doesn't get too heavy into the particular, you know, identifying certain groups. Yeah. um But yeah, I mean, d- d- the irony is that all of this diversity, equity, inclusion stuff that's bringing in, a lot of the, the ideas that it teaches run contrary to the Equalities Act, even though it's got the word equality in it. But it teaches hmm. to, you know, discriminate certain people on their protected characteristics, like white people, like men um you know uh, uh, you know christians often um so it's, it's actually illegal so it's not only you know those people that you said would be better off picking fruit in a field yeah i think they would because <laughs> they do less harm you know they wouldn't yes. be doing anything illegal <laughs> and that's yes, right you know so it, it's just ridiculous it's it's counterproductive
1: yeah, absolutely. You get these these characteristics, these nine characteristics in the Equality Act. But if you're, can you know, these are Marxian ideologies. They they split you know sex into male and female and say, well, all men are oppressors as a class, and all women are oppressed as a group. And then the the, the gender reassignment. So if you're transgender, you're oppressed and by transphobic society and so on. So if you're not in a in a, a victim class according to these um different protected characteristics then you are a loser you, you in, in terms of law and you actually find yourself um having less recourse to law and being a second-class citizen if you like because of the equality act which is not actually bringing in equality it's really bringing in inequality so um it is doing exactly. the exact opposite of what they say uh, it should be doing that um amy it's been really lovely to talk to you it's nearly two o'clock now we just have a a, a few a few seconds left tell people where they can find out a little bit more about you just in the next 20 30 seconds
4: yeah so the documentary is called how psychology went mad and you can find me on go find me at stand up to Woke on twitter at stand up to Woke.
1: fantastic thank you amy thank you so much for joining me uh, and uh, all the best in your case this is today's news talk tnt